the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. God was still true to His promise. How many of you are thankful that God is always faithful and true to His promise, and that His promises and His faithfulness are not predicated upon our unfaithfulness. God is still faithful even when we're not. He is still good even when we're not. That God does what He says He will do, and He doesn't respond in reaction to our response. In other words, you know, when they laughed, God didn't say, okay, you laugh? Okay, forget you. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Genesis. Our lives do not destroy God's faithfulness concerning His promises toward us. When we give our life to Christ, He begins a good work in us that He intends to finish. In today's study, Pastor Gary reminds us that God is not short-tempered and peevish. When Abraham and Sarah laughed at His promise to give them a son in their old age, He did not turn His back on them. In fact, he told them to name the promised son Laughter. Have you ever doubted the faithfulness of God in your situation? If you have, did you think he was finished with you? At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for part one of today's message entitled, A Sacrifice of Love. Let's uh, turn in our Bibles together to Genesis. We're going to be in chapters 21 and 22. I'm going to read a little bit out of chapter 21, and then we'll move into chapter 22 and read a little bit out of that chapter as well. But first, starting here in Genesis 21, verse 1. It says, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Go to chapter 22, verse 1. Now sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. 
Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son Abraham replied, The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Well, we finally come to this long-anticipated passage of the Bible, Genesis 21, where Isaac is finally born. Abraham and Sarah have been waiting 25 long years for God to make good on His Word. How many of you understand, though, God's timing is perfect, and His Word is always true. We talked a couple of weeks ago about how God's delay is often for His display, And what God did here was to wait 25 long years from the time that he promised Abraham that he would be the father of a great nation until the time that Isaac was finally born. He waits this long time because God wants to make sure that the human equation, the human element is removed in the sense that these elderly people, Abraham's 100 years old, Sarah is 90, though they have relations, God is going to do something here that is beyond just biology at this point, because the Bible says that Sarah is well past childbearing. She's not able to conceive, and yet at the age of 90 she does, because God makes true to his word, and she conceives, and they have a baby boy, Isaac, and the reason that God delayed so long was that then everybody would be able to observe this thing and say, this is not something natural, this is something supernatural, and God gets all the glory for it. Now this is that long-awaited moment where Isaac is finally now born. And Sarah says here, back in chapter 21, if you'll look again, glance back to chapter 21, verse 7, Sarah says, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age? I mean, she's calling him old. I mean, he's 100. She is 90, though. And here is something that she is saying. This is a marvelous thing. Who would have ever said that me as a 90-year-old woman and my husband as 100 would have children, that I would actually nurse a child at my age. Now, you know what sometimes we do when we read the Bible? Sometimes I think that we read the Bible and we say to ourselves, okay, quaint story, thousands of years ago, but listen, you need to put yourself in this story because this is an amazing moment here. Let me try to modernize it just a little bit so that you can kind of relate to the events and be amazed at what's happening here. Let's just say, for example, 
that uh, some of you ladies now, you, you've just had babies. We, we have a new mommy and me room back in the education ring wing. And you can go back there. You can nurse your little babies in privacy. There's a screen there. You can watch the service live. And so I'm just picturing this scene, right? There's a few of you back there in our new mommy and me room. And you're just kind of chatting together. Like, hey, well, look at your baby. Oh, isn't Oh, when was that baby? What hospital? Oh, isn't that great? Oh, how old? Oh, that's so special. That's so cute. You're kind of whispering. You're watching the service. And then the door creaks open. And in shuffles, a 90-year-old mom. She's got a cane in one hand. She's got a diaper bag in another. She's got a papoose strapped to her chest with a little baby boy. And she says to you, excuse me, ladies. Is this the new mommy in me room? I'm here to nurse my baby boy. Now, at that moment, you either are going to do the compassionate thing, invite her in, or you're going to call the police, one or the other. Because this doesn't look normal. This is not natural. I and mean, we need to see it this way. This is not something natural. This is something supernatural. I want you to think for a moment of Abraham. He's a hundred years old. He's just had a baby here. He's a hundred. That must be a little tough to be a hundred-year-old dad. On the other hand, maybe it's actually an advantage. Because when you think about it, father and son are somewhat at the same season of life. <laughs> You change your diaper, you change his diaper. You mash your food, you mash his food. You drool, he drools. You take naps, he takes naps. That's the kind of the way it works. Isn't it funny how life kind of comes full circle? You start out no teeth, you end no teeth. You start no hair, you end no hair. Some of you are already getting an early start. Thank the Lord, I praise God. I'm still holding on as long as I can. But listen, it's funny how the whole thing goes full circle. And Abraham here and Sarah, I mean, 190? I'm just trying to imagine the baby shower. <laughs> hey, Abraham, we need, to, we need to invite some of our friends over. We need to have a little baby shower. Friends, Sarah, think about it. All our friends are dead. Who's going to come to a baby shower? Friends, we don't have any friends. I'm dead. I was watching this week. Greg Laurie did an interview with Pastor Chuck. And... Uh, Greg was asking Pastor Chuck how long he'd been married. And Chuck answered, 63 years. He and Kay have been married 63 years. And Greg knew the answer. We, we all who are part of Calvary Chapel, we kind of know the answer, but he was already setting Chuck up for the next question. He, and he says, well, Chuck, how long was your courtship with Kay? And Chuck laughed and he goes, six weeks. <laughs> six weeks of courtship, 63 years of marriage. And Chuck said, yeah, all our friends thought that it wouldn't last. And Greg said, boy, were they wrong. And Chuck said, no, boy, are they dead. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you've been married 63 years at some point. Some of your friends are gone now. And that's kind of the scene I think of here in this story, like Abraham and Sarah. I mean, a lot of their friends probably can't share in the joy. Most of their friends are dead. But here they are, 190, and God does this amazing thing. And the Bible tells us here in chapter 21, look at verse 6, that Sarah says in verse 6, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And actually, for you note-takers, the son born to them, Isaac, Itzach in the Hebrew, translates laughter. It translates laughter. And they didn't come up with the name. God came up with the name. And God came up with the name because when he first told this couple that they were going to have a baby, they laughed. They laughed at God. On two separate occasions, keep your place there in Genesis 21 and go backwards to Genesis 17. And here's the occasion when Abraham laughs at the Lord. 
In Genesis chapter 17, it tells us in verse 15, verse 15 says, God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai, her name will be Sarah. Now, Sarai in the Hebrew means my princess, but Sarah means the princess of many. So now she's going to be um, true to her name because look what the Lord says in verse 16. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed. He's got his face in the carpet and he's, and he's laughing. He said to himself, will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. And then God said, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac, Isaac. Laughter. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. Go to the next chapter, chapter 18. In chapter 18, the Lord also appears to Abraham. This is when he announces what he's going to do in advance of destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. And in chapter 18, the Lord says, verse 10, Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself, and she thought, after I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Now, the word master there is just kind of an Old Testament term. It's a respectful term for her husband. She's calling her husband master. Let me daydream. I'm sorry. I just, uh... <laughs> hey, happy, happy Valentine's Day. It's coming up on... On Tuesday, maybe we can kind of revive this one. I don't know if that'll work. No, it won't work. All right. So she thinks, well, I'm kind of worn out, and uh, my husband, you know, I mean, we're, we're kind of getting up there. Would I really have this pleasure? She laughs. Verse 13, then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid. So she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. Now, here's this scene. So God is appearing to Abraham. Abraham's here at his tent. And God's having this conversation with Abraham. The Lord has his back to the tent. Sarah's in the tent. She's kind of got the flat back. She's kind of eavesdropping just a little bit. The Lord says to Abraham, hey, by this time next year, you and your wife, you're going to have a baby. And Sarah's inside going, come on, no. And then the, the Lord says to Abraham, why'd your wife laugh? And from the tent, she goes, I didn't laugh. And the Lord's like, uh, yeah, you did. Now, look, how many of you understand, right? The Lord knows our thoughts, and he can hear our chuckles, all right? And so Sarah is laughing, and the Lord knows it, and she lies, because she's nervous. She's like, uh-huh, I didn't laugh. Yes, you did. You did laugh. So isn't this great? God has a sense of humor. He's going to tell this couple, name your child Itzhak, meaning laughter, because I want you to always remember, when you call this boy for dinner, you're going to remember you laughed at me. You're going to laugh. You laughed at me. Now, they did. Abraham laughs, Sarah laughs. Chapter 17, Abraham laughs, Sarah laughs. Chapter 18, their laughter is laughter of disbelief. But when you get to chapter 21, when the baby's born, this is now laughter of delight. This is not laughter of disbelief. This is laughter of delight. They laughed at God. But God was still true to his promise. How many of you are thankful that God is always faithful and true to his promise, and that his promises and his faithfulness are not predicated upon our unfaithfulness. God is still faithful even when we're not. 
He is still good even when we're not. That God does what He says He will do and He doesn't respond in reaction to our response. In other words, you know, when they laughed, God didn't say, okay, you laugh? Okay, forget you. See, somebody does that right back there in the corner. And we all do that sometimes. When we don't get the right response from somebody, we're like, hey, would you like to do that? No, I don't. Well, then fine. Forget you. I'm not going to do it now. And so we do this kind of thing. God doesn't do that. He doesn't treat us like that. You know, God doesn't put his hands on his hips and like, well, then forget you. That isn't God. God's like, all right, you guys laughed? Fine. You can laugh. Just name your kid laughter so you always remember that you did this. But I'm going to be faithful and true to my promise. And so... He's faithful and true, and Isaac is born. Now, they're celebrating this great moment in chapter 21. When you go to the next chapter, and God asks them to do something that is unimaginable. God asks Abraham specifically to take his son Isaac, your only son whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice him there. Wait a minute. This is the son that you've promised 25 years ago. We finally have this son, and now you, you want me to sacrifice this son? This is the scene of chapter 22. God is asking Abraham to do something that is just unimaginable. Now, he does it. It tells us, verse 1 of chapter 22, the Lord tested Abraham. That's the word there. If you have a King James Bible, it uses the word tempt. It says God tempted Abraham. But we have to remember in terms of that old English that that's not the connotation that we connect temptation with. We often connect temptation with sin. The Bible makes it clear in James, James 1 verse 13, that God cannot be tempted by evil, neither does he tempt anyone. So that word in King James translated tempted, and NIV translates tested, is best understood with the translation to prove. In fact, often through the Old Testament where that word is used, it is often translated to prove. God is going to prove something here. There's a testing going on. There is a proving. There is something that is going to be revealed here in this story. So just kind of tuck that away because we'll get to it at the end of the Bible study. But but here's the scene. Let me just kind of walk through chapter 22 with you. Here's the scene. Sarah is not in this. This is a moment between God and Abraham and God and Abraham and Isaac, the three of them. But the meaning of this story is going to have profound implication for all of us. But at the moment, here's the scene. It's God, and it's Abraham, and it's Abraham's son Isaac. Now, God says to Abraham there in verse 2, He says, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. I want you to underline that phrase, only son. Your only son. Now, here Abraham is living in Beersheba, the Bible tells us. Beersheba is south-central Israel. It's just west of the southern tip of the Dead Sea. It's, it's more of a desert region. This is where Abraham is living. And God tells him, go to Moriah. Now, Moriah is a region of a mountain range that is basically in Jerusalem. And so, Abraham needs to make this 50-mile journey from Beersheba to the region of Moriah in Jerusalem. By the way, Moriah is only mentioned twice in the Bible. Once right here, and once in 2 Chronicles 3, verse 1, and this is what it simply tells us, that Moriah is the location where Solomon builds the temple about a thousand years after this story. 
Just kind of keep all that in mind. This is the region that God calls Abraham to go. Now, it's a 50-mile journey. Chapter 22 tells us it's a three-day journey to go those 50 miles. And I want you to realize with me, though it doesn't explicitly tell us in the text, Abraham had to have been tormented. He had to have been a man in his own heart who was wrestling with his love for God and his love for his son. Again, don't dehumanize this guy. I mean, he is a giant man of faith, an incredible man of courage and faith. I'm sure that when I'm in heaven, I won't be able to stand in proximity to this man. He's a giant of the faith, and yet, let's not dehumanize him. He's a real person who has real emotions, real feelings, and a real will. And I'm sure that he's got to wrestle with this. Don't read this story and just think he casually accepted the idea of raising a knife to the throat of his son. This had to have been an internal conflict for this guy. But he is going to just simply respond with raw faith, married to simple obedience. And he's going to do what God says. But when God asks you and I to do things particularly that we read in his word, that we will find on times a stretch for us in obeying God and doing what God says. There will be a wrestling match. You will at times want to wrestle your will with God's will. That doesn't say anything less of you as a person. It's nothing less of Abraham as a person. The truth is Jesus wrestled between his will and the will of the Father. In Gethsemane, remember, just before he was crucified, he prayed to the Father and he said, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, Not my will, but thine be done. What was Jesus saying? Jesus was saying the humanity of him did not want to suffer. If there's another way to accomplish your grand purpose, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He surrendered his will to the will of the Father. But he had a will. We have a will. We have to learn to surrender our will to the will of God. What does God want? What is God's call? What is God requiring of us? What does God say for us to do? And then we surrender our will to the will of God. I'm sure as Abraham is making this 50-mile journey to Moriah, he is looking tenderly at his son. I'm sure that he's wrestling with his own emotions. I'm sure that he's wondering, he has questions like, what will my son think of this when I raise a knife to his throat? How will God make all of this work out? You have to remember, he didn't, Abraham didn't have Romans 8.28 to fall back on. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Paul said all things work together for good for them that love God and are called according to his purpose. Oh, we have that one memorized. He didn't have the New Testament. He didn't have the patriarchs of the faith who went before him as an example to encourage him in this step of obedience. He is the patriarch of the faith. There's no one before him. There's no Romans 8.28. This is a guy who's just going to obey God. But please, don't underestimate the struggle. He's a human being with real feelings. He's got a son that he loves. God even tells us this. This is the son whom you love. And and he's got to struggle with this whole notion of what God is asking him to do. And so he does. Now this is, for those of you who like to take notes, a chapter of firsts. In Genesis 22, it's the first time the word love appears in the Bible. Very interesting. 2,000 years of human history have already passed from Genesis 1 to 21. And in 21 chapters of the Bible, God chooses this scene to reveal the word love for the first time. And it's in verse 2. Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. It's also in this chapter the first time the word worship appears in verse 5. 
where Abraham says we will go and worship and then we will return. It is the Hebrew word shakah. Speaking through the prophet Isaiah, the Lord said, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who trusts will never be dismayed. What is this cornerstone? Or better yet, who is this cornerstone? Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, is that cornerstone. And it's our desire to honor and glorify Jesus through the teachings that you hear each day on Cornerstone Connection. Cornerstone Connection is the teaching ministry of Pastor Gary Hemrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. You can get a free downloadable copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to cornerstoneconnection.cc. It's our hope that you're attending a local church that teaches God's Word from beginning to end. If you don't currently have a church home and live in the Northern Virginia area, we encourage you to join us in person for worship. For service times, driving directions, and more information, log on to cornerstoneconnection.cc. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Please join us next time as we continue through the book of Genesis. Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.